1: This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Fuller's London Pride, an outstanding amber ale and the official beer of Premiership Rugby. And don't forget, you can now watch the full extended video podcast of today's show at londonpridebeer.co.uk. Support with pride and please drink responsibly.
2: Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of
0: Premiership Rugby.
1: Hello, I'm Lawrence Delalio. Welcome to my rugby podcast. With the end of the season just weeks away, we've got a special episode for you. And I'm delighted to be joined by Premiership Rugby's Chief Executive, Simon Massey-Taylor, to talk about his plans for the future of the game. And also, returning to the podcast, ready to discuss all the weekend's rugby action, it's my good friend, former Leicester Lions and England player, it is the legend, of course, that is Ben Kay. Good morning to both of you. Thank you, Simon, for joining us on a bright, sunny morning in uh, West London. How are you, sir? Yeah, good. Thanks very
2: much. Thanks for having me
1: on. Great pleasure. And Benny, I'm assuming you're at home. You've been uh, broadcasting pretty much every day this week. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh,
3: the light at the end of the tunnel. Come the end of the season, is there? But it's been a busy uh, few weeks. But it's just been so exciting and great that we're going into the last weekend, not knowing exactly who's going to be in the playoffs. You know, there's no dead rubbers, so that's just fantastic. Fantastic.
1: Absolutely. Well, listen, Simon, I know you are a stretch for time, so I'll get straight into it. You have obviously come from the RFU, for those who don't know, and you're straight into your role as CEO of Premiership Rugby. No doubt you've arrived with a long-term vision for the game. I mean, what do you see as the immediate priorities for you as CEO? Yeah, so coming into the role
2: in January, my immediate priorities were. There's three of them, really. One of them was, and it's funny how you sort of forget it, but it was to keep the show on the road, actually, because if you remember at that time, we were back in lockdowns and also we had this major issue in trying to get teams out in and out of Europe to play the two rounds there. So my immediate priority was making sure that, that as many of those fixtures happened as possible, you know, with French quarantine and various other things. So that was a hugely disruptive thing for the league and exhausting for the people involved in it. So it's great that we're now out of that and we're back fully trading again. Then the other two things were a big review of what we're doing and trying to put a plan in place. I think we had a situation where the clubs were dealing with whatever was in front of their noses and dealing with the huge financial issues that COVID had presented. And so by putting a plan in place and consulting with them and having something to shoot for that was longer term, that was hugely refreshing for them I think for Premiership Rugby to actually have something to shoot for so that's been my main priority and then the third one was just to improve our distribution and you know we were in the middle of one of the best seasons ever and we needed to get it out there and so that's why the ITV deal was so important free to air telly and the highlights to get back on show but also to launch a streaming service where we were putting every game out there so on top of that and the great work that BT Sport have done our broadcast numbers are up 20% of our best season ever. So we're getting the distribution out there to try and tell the story of this amazing season.
1: Ben and I had the pleasure of playing for England. I mean, when England play, we obviously see this massive spike in interest in the game. You know, you're talking about, I don't know, eight or 9 million people watching the game I guess one of the things that we're all kind of a little bit frustrated about is how can we kind of harness that audience you get one week you got 8 or 9 million the following week the same players in their club jerseys and that drops off down to maybe I don't know less than a million so I guess the real challenge for us all is how can we kind of harness that support and get them to to watch club rugby
2: I think our main challenge isn't a product issue at all. I think at the core, we've got an absolutely fantastic product. It's, it's competitive, it's got great brands and it's got great players in. At its core, our challenge is promotion. It's a marketing challenge. It's getting it out there. And, you know, just in numbers, you know, we've got nearly 10 million rugby fans in the UK. and Nine million of them basically follow and watch England. And you see that when you have the Six Nations Games and the crowds audiences they get. Now, we know about half of those folks are warm to premiership rugby. But then when you actually get go down the funnel, you know, there's less than two million that have intent to, to get involved with us. You know, buy a ticket, watch us on BT Sport, etc. So the challenge is to try and bridge that gap. And, you know, when we look at it and when we try and tap into new audiences, we clearly want to go for a younger demographic. And we sort of split them out into three buckets that we're going to shoot for. First, this is sort of all out entertainment. And this is probably the youngest demographic. And actually, I saw this yesterday at Twickenham where the crowd was young and it was actually pretty much split 50-50 girls and boys you know you had you know teens and people in their early 20s turning up to this because they like the big occasion and so i thought quince did a great job there they put craig david on and various other things but that's the type of thing that those people are trying to buy into the second bucket is the sort of laid-back family time group i'm in this group okay so and with that you need to basically better articulate the sport to people and so you can explain it to everyone in the household that they get it and they feel safe in that environment and then the third bucket is the sort of super sport enthusiast who you know they're after the biggest players and the biggest clashes, and so that's when we really need to pump up those occasions in the season. You know, like yesterday again, but also frankly, this whole weekend has been big game occasions, and we've got it in abundance. So it's it's getting that message out there.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, listen, I mean, there's no doubt about it. One thing that struck me from yesterday, I met a father and son. The father had a Gloucester shirt on, and the son had a Quinn shirt on. And I said to the dad, I said, How how come your son doesn't support Gloucester like you do? And he said, well, because of Marcus Smith, basically. So he started supporting rugby, this young man, because he watched Marcus Smith. And I I think we need to make superstars in the game. I guess one of the challenges we've got is to work out how we do that. You know, how do we reach out to those two other audiences that aren't rugby fans in a way that is connected and get them uh, watching our sport?
2: It all boils down to the players, really. You know, they're the stars here. It's not the teams, it's the players. And, you know, I've been tripping out this stat. And to, to illustrate the power of players, our top five players on social in aggregate, are more than all the clubs and premiership rugby combined. So, like, player power is super important and they have a voice. But actually, those top five players are 75% of a Ben Stokes or a Joe Root, right? Which is a comparable team sport with about the same distribution across...
1: across So, So, where does the responsibility lie then? Does it lie with those players to grow their profile? Does it lie with the club... Does it lie with PRL? Because, you know, you're right. uh, Ben Stokes has got, what, one million followers plus. Owen Farrell, who is our most celebrated and famous player, has got 300,000.
2: I think it is a change in mindset. This is part of our challenge and the things we need to focus on i think within rugby's culture there's the tall poppy syndrome you know sticking your head above the parapet and everything which i think is changing and people are showing that they have a voice i think there is a bit of a change in mindset within the clubs as well and we've talked a lot about this with the ceo group with all the premiership clubs you know getting that access that the media need or, or that the player wants to have but i think there's also been quite a sort of and this is common to all sport there's quite a, a transactional relationship that a sport has with the players and i think there is a responsibility on everyone to to grow the sport and i think i saw that definitely when i was at the RFU and working with the women's team in the red roses and there's sort of two things that drive them but one of them's a commercial imperative because actually compared to the boys they don't earn as much and so they need to get out there and then the second thing is a really sort of positive view that they want to grow the sport for the next generation and I think as a result they probably perform better than the boys when it comes to their profile and getting it out there you need the whole ecosystem to be talking things up there's about 2,000 of us if you include the players and everyone that works in the clubs and if everyone woke up every day saying how am I going to sell rugby you change the game.
1: Ben, you, you know, listen, you played premiership rugby for many, many years. You know, we're lucky enough to work on BT Sport and BT and formerly Sky have pumped a lot of money into rugby. It's pretty sure that from what Simon's saying that we probably need to ring fence quite a bit of that money at the beginning of the season and actually spend it on marketing because there's no doubt that, um, you know, the clubs need the money, desperately, I understand that. But equally, we play against each other for 80 minutes a week and then the rest of the time we actually need to work together Collaboratively to understand how we can grow the game. I just are probably in hindsight a bit concerned that we haven't spent enough money on marketing the actual sport itself. And when I say marketing, there's no point BT Sport telling people that you can watch rugby on BT Sport on BT Sport because they're already watching it. You know, this is about reaching out to new audiences. And I guess there's a feeling that maybe the game hasn't grown exponentially in the way that it possibly could and should have done.
3: Yeah, I totally agree. I think, funnily enough, the pandemic, despite the, the hardship and pain that all the clubs went through, gave everyone an opportunity to say the model we had before was dangerous in terms of the sustainability. So we've had this big pandemic, almost, you know, cost a couple of clubs their existence. So we've seen as a result, reining back of the salary cap and, and tightening of budgets. And I absolutely agree, you know, that the spend on marketing has to be good. But aside from the broadcast, I, I work in, in advertising. And one of the things that we have to get right is not so much just aren't we brilliant? It's removing the barriers to people that are new to getting involved. And there are so many barriers in rugby. Partly the laws are quite complicated, but that's okay. You look at how many people have got involved with NFL, which is another equally difficult game to grasp all the laws of immediately. But you have to remove some of the, you know, well, who's playing this weekend? What competition is it this weekend? Because there's so much choice in the world now. The Netflix generation, they can turn on any device and watch whatever they want. You have to make it as easy as possible to consume rugby and to get into rugby. We're not talking about the people that already like rugby or are massive fans. We're talking about new fans to grow the sport. And you have to simplify that for people. And part of that is spending money to show how easy it is, what great a game it is. You have to hang out in the right places to talk to them. And, you know, you look at the benefit of the TikTok sponsorship that's happened with the Six Nations, particularly in the women's game and and how much that has grown this year off the back of it. You know, I've spoken to a few of our friends, you know, Martin Corey, I speaking to his son who's a really good rugby player. You know, just got into one of the the DPD systems for the academy. He doesn't sit down and watch a, a whole game on telly. He consumes it on social media and he watches the clips of it and the exciting bits of it. And that's the key to growing the audience because he will go and watch the matches but we just need to be hanging out in the right places and getting the right messaging over that this is a game that everyone wants to consume. You're right, we need to hero the players and make sure that there's a hook. I hate the way people have said, oh, rugby should do what Formula One should do, because rugby is a totally different sport to Formula One in terms of the commercials. I mean, we have one race in this country every year. It's very, very different. But what they have done with the Netflix series is give people characters that they can join the ride on. You know, I've started watching it again, having not watched it for ages, because I want to see those battles between the drivers that I've seen in the Netflix documentary.
1: Yeah, and to that point, Simon, I mean, you know, my daughter 24 years of age, Josie, massive Formula One fan, became that overnight because of Drive to Survive and, and absolutely loves it. And I suppose that there's a challenge for us really to get those personalities and players out there. Yeah,
2: 100%. And I think this is where this a more coordinated approach and a more liberal attitude to ra- around access is key. But also I think there's things that we can do to build platforms for them. Saracen's a good example. They've produced a system that basically has content from the game straight up with all the players' social accounts linked into it. And it's one click away from them putting out content straight away from the game that, that shows them in action. But it's broader than that and it's broader messaging. And I do see the value in these types of behind-the-scenes series or pieces of content. And it was brilliant that off his own bat, Ben o Barno did prep to win. You know, I think that's a, that's a great step. And I think that's opened clubs' mindsets around doing further things. We're not Formula One. We don't have the Towers, We don't have the Spice Girls and the yachts and all this type of stuff. But we've got an abundance of characters, as you say. And that, I think that's our USP. So I'm all up for it.
3: Austin's got a yacht, Simon, he reckons. I think you'll only
2: fit like four Lego people on it. But <laughs> he
1: keeps telling us he's got a yacht. Simon, Ben talks about barriers to entry. How big a problem do you think the current calendar is? I mean, we had a moment in time during COVID where I thought that all the stakeholders might sit down and find a solution. But we've sort of come out the other side of it. And I'm not sure we're any better off in terms of a global calendar than we were before COVID. But the reality is now in your new role, you know, it is a big issue, isn't it, that the club's lose their star players for weeks at a time during the Six Nations and the Autumn Internationals. So we're trying to market the game to a new audience, but we're losing most of its star players. Yeah, and that's the billion pound
2: question, really, because as things are constructed, with 28 weekends of Gallagher Premiership, eight weekends of Europe, 12 international games and trying to give the players a rest that equation doesn't add up to 52 so you either deal with the cards that are laid or you have to do something pretty radical and I think the challenge of rugby is that frankly there is no silver bullet but the positive thing is that throughout the Covid period a lot of good progress was made around considering things like this and it's at all angles here so whether it's the international game whether it's the women's club game whether it's you know even things like sevens but the championship and there's various different exercises that will happen that will come to a point probably at the back end of this year where we'll be able to hopefully stand hand in hand and say that this is the future of rugby and it won't be a silver bullet as I say, but hopefully it will be a, a progressive step towards better alignment globally.
1: Well, listen, I mean, Ben talked about how exciting the Premiership season has been today. And it has been, I mean, some phenomenal games over a long, long period of time. Just, just looking ahead to a few weeks' time, we've obviously got the, the Prem final coming up June the 18th at Twickenham. What plans do you guys have to sort of make that the most special Premiership final it's ever been?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely for a season, I'd agree, this has been one of the best ever. And I think actually, you know, people have, a lot of people have fallen back in love with rugby, actually, after watching a lot of these club games. And that's been great. And it's just boiling up to you know the semi-finals now, where um, you know we still don't know who our fourth team is going to be. But all four teams would draw a massive crowd at Twickenham for a final. Then you layer on top of the fact that actually you know we haven't had a big crowd at Twickenham since 2019. Okay, so that was unbelievably the last time that Twickenham was full because of a Premiership final. And working there, I know how special that day is. It is actually in the absence of hosting a Rugby World Cup final or a Grand Slam decider, it's one of the few games that actually means something. has that huge jeopardy of there being a winner determined on the day. So that in itself is amazing. And then in going back to the targeting some of those audiences that we talked about, we're going to put on some entertainment. Ben will be pleased to hear we've got Sophie Sales to his Kitchen Disco that's coming there. We've got we've got <laughs> the feeling, we've got um capital radio DJs and a few other things. But yeah, it's just that surround sound around the day is really important. That's you know, there's a great vibe at Twickenham as a result of that.
3: Sophie needs some backing dancers because me and Lol we do a very good
2: right said Fred tribute. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
1: Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. I mean, Ben, you've got obviously many premiership final memories yourself. You've also, as you say, you know, involved in, in advertising, you know, outside of rugby. Do you think that there are things that we can do that can really change the dynamics of the big sort of showpiece at the end of the season?
3: Yeah, again, I yeah you know, I go back to the point on, on access and and you know part of BT's job doing the final will be making sure that people see other stuff going on rather than just the rugby which they do anyway. You know, but it it is that you know, a big West London event, isn't it? And you do get people turning up, you get the regular rugby fans, as you mentioned before, people in all different shirts. Uh, You know, I saw a little bit of stuff on social media from some of the Leicester fans last night saying, oh, that's the problem premiership rugby selling the final, you know, before we know what teams is in it, there won't be enough tickets for the Leicester fans. Well, the whole point is to create an atmosphere where we're filling the stadium regardless of who's playing. So there is a fantastic atmosphere. And, and I think it, they've done a really good job so far. And yes, you'll get a sudden uh, surge when, when we know who the finalists are and people are desperate to get there. But in terms of the rugby for all the purists has to be front and centre. And that has to be the hook to, to get a lot of people in, or at least once they're in there, we have to make sure they're enjoying the rugby as well. But, you know, persuading your son or your daughter to come to watch a team they've never sort of had any interaction with. Well, if you can sell the day, outside Twickenham's often as good as inside it, and you need to make that whole special day out where the, the rugby's the icing on the cake. And they fall in love with the game. People that up until then had no interest in rugby fall in love with the game because they've been to a major event. You know, it's a little bit like anyone who's been to the Olympics. They've probably ended up because of the ticket situation watching a sport they might not have ever watched before. But suddenly they've loved that sport because they were part of the Olympics and part of something special. And next time it's on, they'll watch it because they've been drawn into it and that's the same with,
1: with what we do with big events like the Premiership final. I saw you at the beach volleyball final Ben um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the women's final I've, I've, <laughs> n-
3: I've never had any interest before <laughs> with
1: that. Uh, in the horse guards parade so uh, <laughs> listen, I know that the final will be hugely entertaining and um, we'll be doing another podcast uh, around that actually of what it's like to, uh, to try and capture the essence of the final so uh, we'll park it there Simon I really appreciate your time uh, before you go we have a sequence in the show called Outstanding where we raise a glass to a player that we think has been outstanding, a bit like a pint of London Pride.
3: Outstanding with Fuller's London Pride.
1: I'll kick things off. Uh, I was at Twickenham yesterday and I'm going to give my award to Joe Marchant, scored two tries. He's a player who was obviously plays all across the back line. I thought he was just absolutely brilliant yesterday. So uh, he is my outstanding player of the weekend. Simon, I'm assuming it may come from yesterday's game, although... Um, As now CEO of of Premiership Rugby, you you probably watch every single minute of every single game. (laughs) Well, my vote was Joe from
2: the game that I was at. But then I came back and I watched the St. Saracens game. And I think Theo McFarlane's try, which sort of basketball-esque sort of... I think we all all want to do that, don't we? But actually, Owen Farrell in that game was just, I mean, I think once you're a player that, that experience, he just ran the show in a lot of bits of that game. So I thought he was brilliant.
1: So Simon, before you go, when we sold the Rugby World Cup, I mean, we weren't worried about selling England-Australia because that would sell itself and England-Wales at Twickenham. Selling Canada against Romania on a Tuesday evening at 4 p.m. at the King Power Stadium was a bit more of a challenge. So we ended up employing uh, Charles Dance to do our team talk, if you like. You could have used Idris Elba, you could have used a number of other different people, but it was about reaching out you know, to those new audiences. I reckon if we managed to persuade BT to give us a chunk of money and we got the Owen Farrell in every club and, you know, we gave it to you know, Ben's wonderful little creative agency. I'm pretty sure we could shoot quite a good ad to really sell the game. We might have to put it on TikTok and terrestrial TV, but that's the sort of thing that, that I think we need to do to really propel the personalities and superstars that we have into the minds of non-rugby fans.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's, like, a, it's a great idea, but that's, that's the essence. You know, the, the strap line of the Rugby World Cup was too big to miss. And I think the message that we're trying to get out there is that we've got unmissable world-class sporting entertainment. And to Ben's point, that it's accessible for all. And our ambition for next season is to make it the most accessible season. And so whether that's the fact that actually more games than ever will be on free-to-air telly, including the final, but to also making every game available through streaming, but then also working together with the clubs for the first time on a collective ticketing plan and so with we're, we're, the clubs are actually going to go on sale for their public ticket sales all on the same date next season with a collective message along the lines of what you're talking about Lawrence around this unmissibility.
1: Well listen Simon really appreciate your time good luck with the remaining few weeks we look forward to a wonderful final on uh, on June the 18th are we sold out yet? No we've still got a few more
2: tickets to sell we're, we're tracking well but it's this late surge now so get involved and them um, see you all there.
1: Brilliant thanks Simon, appreciate thanks, it. Simon. Cheers. So, Benny, come on, give us your uh, outstanding player from the weekend up, given that I probably chose your first choice and Simon took away your second choice. Well, Simon mentioned the guy I'm going to go for. It's a bit of a cheat
3: in that I think he's been brilliant for the last few weeks, maybe not quite as prominent this weekend. But the one moment that, that Simon talked about was Theo McFarland's slam dunk, international basketball player for Samoa, international rugby player for Samoa. And uh, he, he's just been the finder of the season. certainly the back end of the season for Saracens, and breaking free, you know, keeping the quick backs at bay with his long stride. I think it was Freeman that was trying to get back to catch him, couldn't get there. And then he, he almost slowed down at the end to allow him to come back, and then literally rugby's answer to the slam dunk. So I'll go for Theo McFarlane, but also special mention to Matt Proctor for an equally spectacular finish on his try.
1: Yeah, amazing game that was. And listen, if we move that swiftly on to the weekend, Action. you were at my old club wasps i think their last home game of the season uh, they played sail shark sail came away with the win i mean it wasn't the most exciting game i mean sailor you know a very physical side obviously um, nasty old injury to Elliot Stoke I did feel that while Sale were always felt like they had the upper hand you, you kind of felt that, that injury sort of took the, the wind out of Wasps a little bit they never really recovered from that moment onwards and and Sale sort of took the wind yeah I agree
3: Elliot Stoke's been been one of the unsung heroes uh, for Wasps this year so it's- Devastated to see such a serious injury to him, though. Great to see his response yesterday about the positivity, uh, about coming back. But I think you're right. It Just when the game needed to sort of set light that we had that big sort of stoppage just after halftime. But I think it's just difficult. I think there's a lot of clubs at the moment, back end of the season, who aren't involved in the final push, that sort of mid-tier clubs that, you know, they almost, you can see, they almost just want the season to end. And Wasps, you know, I hate to say nice things about your old club, lol, because uh, we had a few battles, me and you, but uh, they, more than anyone I can ever remember, have suffered with injuries to their most key individuals this season, you know, they losing the likes of Thekatoa and Launchbury and Jack Willis as well. And I think Jack Willis was the, the really, really big one because that season when you got to the final, it was the Jack Willis season, wasn't it? And people couldn't play him. And so absolutely brilliant seeing him back to his best and doing stuff that when you get the sort of injury he had, we wondered whether psychologically and physically you'd be able to get back to being the turnover superstar that he is. And, and he absolutely has.
1: Friday night's other game was, of course, Bristol against Exeter. The Bears managed to run in six tries to Exeter's five. Maybe a bit of an end of season sort of game feeling about it. It's been quite a frustrating season for Rob Baxter, hasn't it? I mean, he's sort of given up the ghost really and said that their playoff hopes are kind of all but done. And sort of quite nice to see Bristol Bears finally sort of back to where they were maybe sort of last season and the season before.
3: Yeah, two coaches that probably have the biggest job this summer because, you know, both of them have been on the upward curve for the last few years, you know, and obviously Rob Baxter everything that Extra have achieved is phenomenal for how quickly they became dominant after getting into the Premiership. But he has his biggest challenge now because once that curve starts to tip over and drop again, it's very easy for the momentum to build up and it it to spiral a little bit as... You know, big teams such as Leicester and Wasps have found out. So how do you arrest that will be vital for him. Again, Pat Lamb, you know, playing the most attractive rugby last year, topped the premiership and then an abysmal season by those standards this year. So there will be question marks, I'm sure, internally about whether the, the Bristol game plan is high risk. And you have to then take the downside of that, that when things start to go wrong, it's very difficult to get it back. For me, it's a game plan that requires such confidence for everything to flow that it's brilliant while it's working, but it's it's very, very difficult. So how does he regain that confidence in what they were doing over the summer? But, you know, a little bit like what we were saying before, a couple of those teams will be desperate for the holidays to have finished and get back to work to making sure that they get that confidence back. because. You know, Exeter, Bristol, they were bulletproof at times last year.
1: Yeah, they were. And I mean, you know, this is how, I guess, how competitive the Premiership is. So hard to predict. Bath were playing their last game, I think their last game at home anyway, against London Irish. And they managed to win. Uh, I'm pretty sure that at the beginning of the season, myself and probably not exclusively myself, picked out Bath as a, as a team that might be challenging in the top four because they made the playoffs last year. Obviously, things were completely the opposite. They lost every game until the new year. But uh, I guess it just shows that the fact that they've got the ability to beat London Irish, maybe, just maybe, there is some seeds of hope emerging for the Bath fans for next season. I think all those teams
3: we've just talked about just shows how rugby is such a psychological game. Because the quality of players that, that Bath have had this season and not been able to deliver with, you just have to be a couple of percent off and then it, it almost becomes self-fulfilling. And I think, you know, for me, that's one of the reasons why having mentally strong players within your team is so important. So just filling yourself full of the stars isn't just the ticket you look at the effect owen farrell has on saracens and that sort of winners mentality that whatever's happening we're going to drive to be better and fight for everything and i think that's key and i think that's what a lot of directors of rugby will be trying to find it doesn't have to be in established stars you know guys coming out of the academy just those winners that's fine when everything's going well but when times are tough the people that are going to drag you out of the trenches
1: yeah listen I was at the uh, at the big summer kickoff game at Swickenham extraordinary game really because uh, Gloucester obviously had to win it they didn't in the end but they were what 24-7 up and then Quins we know we know how good they are at, at coming back I mean as well as they played in that second half they were kind of gifted the game by Gloucester It was interesting. I was chatting to George Skivington before the game and I said, what's your biggest concern for today? And he said, well, my biggest concern is that none of my players have really played in this atmosphere before. I haven't got that many internationals in my team. And for a few of them, it's the first time they've even walked into the stadium. Whereas you look at Quinns, you know, Quinns have got all of their their players have played, you know, they're quite regularly this season. They have the header at the beginning of the season. And a lot of them are used to playing international rugby. So I think that was probably just the difference in the two sides in terms of that, the ability to think under pressure. Because it seemed like Gloucester had a bit of a, a brain freeze in the second half.
3: Yeah, I think I really believe that Harlequins, by accident, have developed this mentality which affects the opposition that because of their performances uh, last year in particular, being able to come back, people are concerned about it. And so, you know, you get to a, a big lead as Gloucester had and they're looking over the shoulder. So as soon as they get that first try, subconsciously all those Gloucester players are going, oh, here we go. You know, we often see in rugby, if you get to a big lead at half time, it's really difficult to come back out for the second half And maintain that because you don't want to make mistakes. So you stop playing a little bit, and that gives them a bit more momentum. And as soon as they start scoring, you panic and don't want to make mistakes even more. So it's become a a little block in in every team's mind when they play Harlequins.
1: I couldn't agree more. I mean, there was a uh, wonderful try by Freddie Clark who made a break, came on on a sort of inside line, and. You know, showed a great turn of pace and then he probably should have been my outstanding player with the swan dive alone that he did to score the try. But uh, yeah, I mean, none of those Gloucester players picked in in Eddie Jones' squad, which is fair enough. But, um, you know, there's still some real stars out there on display. As you
3: said, there's a lot of good talent in that Gloucester team. And although George Skivington will be upset that they're not getting the recognition... Another year of being able to build without people leaving on international duty might help Gloucester a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say,
1: won't be that upset, will he, really? <laughs> so, careful what you wish for in, in terms of that. Now, listen, Northampton didn't quite manage to win over Saracens, but they are still in the top four at the minute, and they've got a the final game against Newcastle. Your old club, talking about Premiership teams of the season, they've been outstanding this season. They, obviously... Beat Newcastle up at Kingston Park. And I think that goes a long way to showing the culture and the sort of mindset of what Steve Borthwick and co have created there because they're so far ahead in the top of the table and they didn't have to win that game, but they've gone up there and done a really professional job.
3: Yeah. Look, the great thing that uh, Steve's done in my mind is, is just get that clarity of what we're going to work on first when he initially came in. And we saw the seeds of it last year starting to burst into life. You're building it a little bit like when Saracens first started to get good, was around that kick chase and getting a lot of basics right that meant you were very difficult to play against and then bolting things onto that. And, you know, Leicester have done that superbly well this year to the extent where you've now got two teams in that Leicester squad where... People come in and you're not thinking, oh, there's gonna be a drop-off in performance. And 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 that's not necessarily down to having vastly better players, but it's down to the fact that when any ever anyone comes in, they know exactly what the role is. And that makes them difficult. Having said that, you know we could be talking about Saracens being at the top of the table had that game at Welford Road at the beginning of the year, which ended in controversy and, and Leicester getting the win. So those two teams have been pretty level all season and both built on similar philosophies of everyone knowing exactly what they're going to do. But you've got a couple of outliers and you could potentially have two derbies in the semi-final. Yeah, I was going to say we've now. got we've
1: got we've got one more weekend of Premier rugby and which is taking place obviously the first weekend in june and as it stands as you just alluded to there i think we're looking at potentially an east midlands semi-final and also a london semi-final as well which is very exciting i mean do you think that barring any sort of miracle results that that's the sort of direction of travel
3: i think so you know dean richard's last game in charge gloucester fans will be hoping that he can uh something out of the bag against Northampton at Franklin's Gardens but you'd expect getting that second bonus point yesterday for Northampton means that I think it gives them the confidence but you'd expect them to win at home and and that's all they need to do now you know so Gloucester will be praying for a miracle but how the season's gone this year we might get an outstanding result so uh, there's still a lot of excitement going into that final round which is great.
1: And yeah, it is. And I mean, given what you said earlier, and I, I well, 100% agree with that, is it too risky to say that it will be a Saracens-Less the final? Or do you think uh, it w- we're unfair to write off the, the likes of Quins and, and Saints and, and maybe one or two others as well? Well,
3: rightly so. That should be the case because of their form this year. But form doesn't count for anything in knockout rugby. And, you know, Harlequins, who we're all sort of talking now about, well, this you know, great Harlequins team, when they were at this stage last season, no one really thought they were going to win the Premiership. They'd had some comebacks. they only just got into the playoffs by the skin of their teeth and then they went on and, and won the whole thing. So, of course, a fool would sit here and say yeah, the winners are going to come out of Leicester and
1: Saracens, but they've got to be favourites, those two. Listen, uh, that's all for this episode. Ben, you and I have got a very quiet week, which uh, culminates in the European Challenge Cup final live on BT Sport on Friday night and also the uh, European Champions Cup final on Saturday and then maybe a little bit of Monaco Grand Prix on Sunday. So, um, you know, it's a tough life, but someone's got to do it. Ben, my huge thanks to you and also to Simon Massey-Taylor for his time earlier on the podcast. We'll be back in two weeks' time and we'll be discussing the final... Final round of Premiership Rugby. Until then, thanks for listening and goodbye.
2: Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby.
1: Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions.